What's good, y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing tonight? Hi, friends. I'm doing good. We are we're recording this on the 23rd, so I just got to see my my Rams win a football game uh, against a team that no one present likes. Uh, I assume. So it was uh, it was good. I'm having having a good evening. So Schwebzy leading off the podcast with a little bit of a lie here because I mean we're kind of on a roll. I would never the- lie on <laughs> in, in public. Well, well. <laughs> I mean, we're about to prove that wrong right here. So for the second episode in a row, we're on a, we're on a hot streak. We have another guest here joined by one Yancey Eaton himself. Yancey, welcome to the pod. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing excellent. So first off, thank you for having me on. I do have a couple bones to pick. One, I just sat through a game where I watched my <laughs> lifelong team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, go down 20, what was it, 27 to 3. They tie it up. And then with four seconds yeah. left, they lose to a last second field goal rip my heart out. I feel stupid for having just cared so much. And then the second, so that's a, a silent shade to you, Shubsy. Um, had I known that you would be wearing a Rams jersey the second I log on to record this podcast, like maybe I actually <laughs> would have postponed this podcast a couple of days. Um, um, other than that, let me say this too, kind of a slight bone to pick with both of you, making me follow Ellen. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's like the Funny. most brutal draw. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> Ellen is just so good at what she does. And okay. there was there was no point in trying to maintain that that level of quality. So we were just like, oh, Yancey. I mean, you, you don't want to be the guy really... that you don't want to be the guy that follows, you know, Tom Brady, right? You want to be the guy that follows right, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo, right? But <laughs> that's yeah. You're, you're my Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair enough. Anyways, I'm here. Hi. Hi, Yance. No, I mean, okay, to be fair, you and Ellen have guested on other podcasts in tandem before. So I, I see you both on a similar playing field personally. That's that's just my opinion. I know you don't I feel that way. I think it's nice that you say that. But <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I don't think my own mother would say that. <laughs> Does your mother even know who Ellen Adair is, is my question. I don't think so. <laughs> so see, I mean, you're automatically right right there, at least in your mother's eyes, a much better podcast guest. Mm-hmm. So this I mean, really isn't this isn't to to rag me. This is more to build Ellen up. But I, th- I think I think people are hip to how good Ellen is. Like, uh, you know, I go on podcasts every once in a while. I mean, she's literally on TV and she's literally on MLB Network and she's literally like publishing books and stuff. So, like, you know, I'm I'm happy with myself. I think I do a good job in life. But like, I, I think it's an unfair it's an unfair <laughs> comparison. I'm sorry to do this to you, Yancey. I feel I I do feel bad about it. If that's if that's how you're feeling about the situation, but I I mean, Trubsy and I both I think call you a very very good friend, and we're happy to have you here. So thank mm-hmm. you for joining us uh, for this episode. Right. Yeah, like the intention wasn't to make you follow Ellen. The intention was to finally finally get mm-hmm. you on after after what almost forty episodes mm-hmm. we've been wanting to have you on literally the entire time. What is this episode thirty seven? Yeah. Like yeah. And we finally did it. We finally did the dang thing. Uh, so, I mean, much like with Ellen last week, we talked a lot about Philly stuff. So this week, because you are a Rays fan, we are going to probably throw quite a few Rays questions at you in terms of like this or that or kind of who do you think is undervalued in terms of the Rays roster for fantasy baseball. Um, kind of the first thing that I wanted to throw your way was the Rays did sign Corey Kluber mm-hmm. to a deal before the lockout began. His current ADP is at 365. 
at that price, I think I'm kind of interested in taking a flyer on him. How do you feel about Kluber at his current ADP? He is climbing just a little bit. I think you guys use Fantasy Pros, correct, for the ADP source? I actually took this off of NFBC uh, ADP yeah. over the past two weeks. Okay, perfect. Um, so he he is climbing a little bit. I have, I have him at 350th overall. I'm fine with it. I mean, it, it's it's so easy for that type of pick that late in the draft to be profitable. I always like to play the game where I look to see which pitchers are going around him, right? Because when you just spit out a number, contextually, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. And I don't yes. think most of your listeners are going to have ADP just memorized. But like right around that range, would you guys rather have him or Nestor Cortez Jr.? I think I'd rather gamble on the upside with Kluber, right? Um, I'd rather have him over Taiwan Walker. At this point, I kind of know what Taiwan Walker is. No offense to Taiwan. I'd rather have him over Kyle Gibson. I'd rather have him over, um, you know, even Chris Paddock, who, I mean, I guess technically that's more of like an upside pick where maybe he does return to form. But I just feel like it's so safe. And we're, we're basically just betting on health. And we're not betting on the fact that he has to figure out something new about his repertoire, right? It's just like the Verlander situation. We know that if he is healthy, he's going to be good. And I'm totally cool with kind of gambling on it, especially that late. For sure. So like, one thing I'm looking at here is like Paddock is right next to uh, Chris Paddock is right next to Corey Kluber. If you had a mm-hmm. choice between Chris Paddock and Kluber, who do you think you would rather have coming into the 2022 season? I've never been a Paddock guy. I've just See, I haven't either. I've, I've just never even even during this season where he, you know, I, I at this point, how long ago was it? Three years ago, four years ago, whenever he kind of had like his breakout year. Um, and then he was just being insanely overdrafted the next year. I've never owned him. I, I don't think he has a particularly deep repertoire. I don't think that I, I just don't see where the growth is, to be honest with you. Um, maybe he does figure it out. But again, I like betting on somebody being healthy this late and returning to form as opposed to somebody who's never truly shown, you know, prolonged success. So um, I used to always be like the shiny new toy guy, um, but I actually find myself taking these types of boring veterans and uh, this is kind of like a weird thing I wasn't anticipating talking about, but playing starting fantasy sports, having always played football, you're so used to like once a player starts, you know, being in the league for just a couple of years, like running backs and wide receivers, that the natural attrition is so quick that you don't see football players get fast again, right? You don't see yes, like running backs correct. like break out again. Whereas in baseball, how many times do you see like a player like go through ebbs and flows of his career and they're kind of you know, on a downward hill for two or three years. You know, this is the second time I've referenced Verlander already, but, you know, there was a period there where, like, Verlander was completely lost. And, like, all of a sudden, he's back to, you know, winning Cy Young type of thing. So, um, yes. I... I, I, I skew towards I, I skew towards that of the, the, the people who've established themselves and they've shown that they can do this. I think that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost always going to side on that side of a coin flip. I think it's a really interesting comparison between like fantasy baseball and fantasy football that you just brought up, because like you said, there's not really any like a running back that gets fast again sort of thing. Like with baseball players, they can really evolve, like whether it's their plate approach or whatever it may be, finding a new pitch throughout their career. I feel like that's much more common than it is in fantasy football. So I think, I mean, I think it's one testament to why I think fantasy football is much more interesting fantasy sport to play, personally. Um, mm-hmm. So I do like that a lot. Um, yeah, how do you I, I think the the only guy in that area who has like upside better than like greater than Kluber is probably like Denelson Lamette. Other than that, like if I'm going for an upside play in that like 350 to 400 range, like Kluber's the guy in that range. Looking mm-hmm. just above him, if I if I did this correctly, I can't remember if I actually plugged in the right parameters here. But like Kyle Gibson is going like 
nine picks ahead of Kluber on average. And Kyle Gibson, while not like flashy or anything like that, seems like a pretty good value at like 360, uh, 363, I think is what it says here. Um, so I think I might be interested in someone like him too. Like again, not super flashy, not going to provide like a ton of strikeouts or anything like that, but still going to put up like a decent whip. Uh, yeah, nothing fancy. Uh, but I think like those are the two names again, like kind of established veterans we know have the ability to put up a decent line as opposed to someone like James Caprillion, who just was kind of eking by throughout uh, the 2021 season. I think I would rather have both of those guys over Caprillion. So uh, I, I think I like Kluber's value at that point in the draft. It's definitely worth a flyer because uh, the upside is definitely there. So um, sticking with the pitching staff, though, I did also want to ask you, Yancey, about which of the two Shanes you like better on the Rays pitching staff. So you have McClanahan and Boz. Uh, McClanahan mm-hmm. currently going at pick 115 on average in uh, the past two weeks on NFBC. Boz going at 142. Their, their ATC projections have their ERA basically identical, 365 for Boz and 366 for McClanahan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of a difference in whip, uh, but McClanahan is projected to pitch about 25 more innings than, uh, than Boz is. So I guess what my question is, is which one of these two would you rather have at their current ADPs? Um, there, there's a lot I want to say about this. I, I love both of them. This is like having to choose between your children, obviously. Yes. Uh, b- before I get lost in, in uh, rambling in my raise analysis, thank you so much for saying Boz and not Baz. I've been silently fighting this war um, <laughs> throughout all of podcasting ever since he got called up or even whenever you know, listen to fantasy podcasts and stuff. Just it, His Twitter handle is the Wizard of Boz. He's, he's, he's telling you how to yes. say his name, and yet people are still calling him Shane Baz. I don't know why it just annoys me so bad, but... Um, I, I don't think that I'm going to own much of either of these guys. And it hurts me to say this because last year I had a couple of leagues where I drafted Shane McClanahan in the 50th round. 50th. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm talking about 15 team leagues on NFBC, like for real money. And, and yeah, you know, it, it just unbelievable. I couldn't believe that, you know, he what, what did he pitch like 120 something innings, 125 innings or something. Um, yes. I, I was very, very happy with the return on that. I don't. I, I can't believe that they're both going this early, especially Boz, because um, as of right now, obviously CBA su- super uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen with, ser- you know, service manipulation and what they're going to do with these minor leaguers. And the Rays have always shown a propensity to start them in the minors unless yes. they extend them. Right? I just don't see them. I, I I just don't see him breaking camp in the majors. I don't see him getting the innings that he needs to return that value. And they're both this is shiny new toy syndrome. I. I mean, I, I guess it's McClanahan just because he does have an entire year of, you know, 123 innings pitched and, you know, he does have a deep repertoire and he does throw hard and the Rays obviously know what they're doing. I think outside of the Brewers, they probably have just the best pitching, you know, coaches out there, but uh, it's just going to be a, a huge stay away for me um, on both of these guys, I think. Ooh, I, I know, I know Nick is big on McClanahan in that, uh, in that ADP range. I mean, he would have to, the the problem is, is there's just the thing about pitchers is like every team has a lot, right? There's yes. a lot of pitchers. <laughs> there's just in, in that range, there's so many different finite resources that I'm always chasing. And I'm one of those people where, you know, I do go aces and bases early. And then I'm, you know, I, I want to keep maintaining my batting average and I want to make sure that I have two really good catchers. You know, this isn't exactly novel strategies that, you know, nobody utilizes, but 
you have to give up something. And a lot of these these weird middle round uh, pitchers, pitchers that are getting super pushed up, you know, sophomore pitchers. It's just this is this is generally where you see. And, and again, I'm not pitting myself with them, but this is where you see a lot of the you know, all time leaders in NFBC. This is the, the the range that they typically try to avoid when it comes to starting pitching. So I'm going to copy them. Yeah. So this that's exactly the kind of insight that I'm hoping to get out of you today, because uh, you know, later later on, I, I do want to talk about some of the different NFC uh, league types and uh, you know the the different strategies in that uh, come into play there. Because mm-hmm. personally, I'm I'm a complete NFC noob. Uh, T, TGFBI was my first experience with uh, the the NFC format, any NFC format. So, mm-hmm. but we, we we are going to get to that later. So, I mean, just because of ADP, do you think you're going to be more likely to get Boz, or or is it just neither? You think? I think I think that <laughs> I think I would rather still have McClanahan, just because I have no idea what we're getting for innings from Shane Boz at all. So, I think even with the the discount and ADP of you know one fifteen versus one forty two. Yes, you know, that's that's over two rounds of a discount, but I, I would still rather tank in, you know, what I think is going to be bank production with McClanahan. And at least I have some idea of what I'm going to get. But guys, these are these are early picks. Yes. These these really yeah. are like these are foundational picks of your team, you know, and especially whenever you're playing, you know, in super deep leagues. I, I mostly play 15 teamers. I do play some 12 teamers. Um, you got to nail the draft. Yeah, you can have some some busts, but. You know, that's why I'm, I'm taking shots at a, a Corey Kluber. Would you guys be stunned if Corey Kluber returned just as much or if not more value than either one of these pitchers? And he's going at pick 365. Not, not in the slightest. And, and there's, yeah, as long and, as the shoulder doesn't fall apart. Yeah, but there's 15 other pitchers that you could that you could also target like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas whenever you're going at 115 or 142 overall, like these guys have to get there. And I... I I just don't think it's as likely that they get there um, that is commensurate with the, you know, the value slot that you'd be using with their ADP. Yeah. And to kind of touch yeah. on what Shreb said before too, is like, depending on league format, like you might want to take one of these guys early. Like if we're playing a dynasty league, obviously it's going to be way different in how we value these guys. Like mm-hmm. I would love yeah. to have Boz a year or two from now when he has a full season under his belt, that can actually like pitch a full, se- like a, an actual full season, like 150 plus innings. So I think that the production that he could put up, he's personally my pick here between these two at their current ADPs. Cause like, yes, the, the innings difference is kind of important because I mean, I mean, McClanahan is projected to have almost 30 more innings than, than Boz is. But I just think like that ERA plus that whip that he's currently projected at Boz. And I just think his stuff in general is better. Um, I think I would much rather have him over like a two to three year span starting now than I would uh, McClanahan. But yeah, as it stands I, now, Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that the end of the CBA talks mean that we get to stop being so concerned with service time holdbacks. I hope, mm-hmm. I hope that happens so badly, but yeah, I, I can, I will freely admit that you might be right. And he might not even start in the majors if there are still, you know, ways to manipulate service time. The one there, this isn't the most natural place to talk about this, but we're here right now. So let's, let's explore this just a little bit, if that's okay with you guys. Um, so with, with the CBA, everybody's talking about it being a foregone conclusion that we're getting universal DH, right? And everybody's yeah. talking about how they're going to fix service time manipulation with minor leaguers, right? And everybody's talking about how they're going to raise this, the minimum salary floor. And everybody's talking about how they're going to, uh, fix the qualifying offer. And there's like 18 things that the players want and the owners don't want to give them any of them. 
And we've had two meetings in two months of the off season, right? We're no closer. And I understand that this is, you know, it's a game, whatever. But everybody's talking about like six or seven different issues with the collective bargaining agreement as done deals. And I guarantee you, one of these things that we're all accounting for is a done deal within the CBA. We're operating under an assumption that it will be done and it's not going to get done. Maybe it's not the universal DH, but maybe it is the service time. Maybe maybe all of these veteran players who actually p- pay into the union and have the most clout and the most influence, and these are actually the people who are the representatives for their team, for the union, maybe they say, hey, you know what, guys? Let's just protect ourselves and let's kick the can down the road for the for the younger players, which we've been doing since the advent of baseball. Why is everybody acting like, you know, the Max Scherzers and the Justin Verlanders of the world are going to be looking out for them? The, the younger players, they haven't done this in the history of baseball. They no. don't care. So I'm saying like, we can't act like we're going to get everything that we want with this, right? I'm extremely pro player, but I'm, I'm, I'm very doubtful that we're, we're going to get the entire Christmas list of, of what happens with that. Do you guys have a take on this? Because this is why I've been so tepid about jumping into fantasy baseball research because like all of our analysis could be wrong. Yeah. There's so many variables that have not been decided. Like, I mean, oh. It's it's I, I'm a hundred percent on board with where you're at, Yancey. Like I'm in the same spot because like like you said, there's going to be concessions that have to be made by the players in terms of like what will be accepted by the owners as a reasonable CBA. And there's going to be things left out. Someone's going to be left high and dry yep. in this whole thing. It's going to happen. And that might also, like you said, mean that a lot of the research that we're doing right now with under under assumptions that certain things are going to happen it's going to have to be done again. And a lot of the stuff that we've done, like people that are drafting right now are going to be like, well, I mean, I guess that was all for naught. Um, mm-hmm. It stinks. But at the same time, you just kind of got to, I mean, that's, that's the risk of drafting so early and getting into NFBC best ball leagues or whatever you're doing right now. Um, at such an early date. So I think a lot of people that are drafting right now understand the risk involved with all of this. At least I hope they do uh, mm-hmm. a good portion of them, but um yeah, I, honestly, I, I I have no notes. <laughs> I, I can't agree with you more on this. I, I wish I could borrow the confidence of people who draft before labor disagreements and before COVID. Like, yeah, I, I don't have that kind of confidence. I yeah. want all my drafts to happen afterwards, please. Yeah. And this um, is but sorry. I'm no, my, my take is that after hearing you uh, hearing that spiel, I am sad now. Right. I, 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 I was, there was a point. There was a point where I was like hopeful, and we are we are well past that. Like I, I every day that goes by, every time they yeah. have a meeting, and they're like, "Yeah, the next meeting's in three weeks." I, I get much less hopeful. But yeah. the next one is actually the next one's tomorrow. So, God, fingers crossed that we get some good news tomorrow. Yeah, but I, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I mean to be a realist like this, and I think, yeah. Sometimes whenever I like give my opinion, I think I'm bad at 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 not saying that, hey, listen, this is just my opinion. Right. And there's like this is there's this assumption that I'm right. I don't I don't think I'm right. Right. This is just my opinion. But like people who are drafting right now. Right. You're you're making a lot of assumptions that you can't possibly know. Right. I don't know what the owners have all all the billionaires got together, all 30 of them. They said Listen, we are absolutely not budging on blank. We think we know, but we don't actually know. And so a bunch of people are drafting thinking it's going to be A, and a bunch of people are thinking it's going to be B. And then whoever comes out on the winning end of a coin flip that they couldn't possibly know is going to be a quote unquote genius. 
right? I knew this. I did. You should have prepped yeah. for it. Like I'm a genius because I I picked the two closers in the top 150 that didn't get hurt this year. I'm a genius. You see what I'm saying? But no, yeah, actually, variance was on your side, and there's already so much variance in fantasy baseball that I want to minimize mine as much as humanly possible. So I, that's kind of like where I'm at. I'm just like, all right, I'll, I'll wait until I actually know what set of rules we're playing with. We don't even know. Guys, what if we get the universal DH and then they take away something else from us that, and we're like, you know what? I, I miss the old CBA. No pitchers at all. They don't get to hit or pitch anymore. Yeah. Sorry. No, that was, a, that was a diatribe. Sorry. No, that's no, uh, this is the reason if, that we I have to, to have watch. you on. Yeah, if I have to watch J.D. Davis and Robinson Cano play defense next year, I am going to mail Manfred a bag of flaming poop. Yeah, uh, yeah the ENC, just like to echo what you just said, there's so many variables that people are plugging in that don't actually exist yet. Mm-hmm. And like you said, people, I, I know that there's going to be people that will absolutely want because that's just how like this space the fantasy baseball space is people are going to, if they happen to like get lucky and be right, they're going to take victory laps about it. Yep. And it's going to be incredibly annoying because there's no way that you could have determined that with certainty that that was the thing that was going to happen, that this was going to be the outcome of all of this. Um, And I think it's much more admirable when like there's people that are just like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Just like being completely honest with folks. So, I mean, I'm glad that, we're not the type of folks who are just going to like take a stance and be like, this is exactly how it's going to be all the time. Like, yes, we're providing the yeah. best info that we can with the information that we have available, but yeah. So. Uh. I think all victory laps except my own are annoying. So I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> 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 to be fair, we did, we did also take a few victory laps of our own last year. We can't really, yeah, but we, we, we stand by our mistakes too. And we that, do. I think that's the difference. We have, I mean, J.D. Davis, that's one right there. You already brought it up. I don't even have to bring it up, but. I'm leaving. <laughs> you guys got this. All right, Yancey, it's just you and I for the rest of the episode. Uh, let's talk about two more raised pitchers here that are going around a similar area in drafts currently. So we have Drew Rasmussen going at pick 281 on average in NFBC drafts over the past couple of weeks. And then Luis Patino uh, going at 308. Which one of these two do you think you would rather have on your rosters in 2022? Because that's pretty negligible at that point in the draft. That's a couple rounds difference, but we're pretty late at that point. We're around like what? That would be 2021-ish. Which do you like better? Um, They both have 170 pick min-max differences. Yeah, which is insane. This is two pitchers, again... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have any race pitchers. I I don't know. Let's start with your Rasmussen, okay? I yes. don't know what to do with him. And whenever we traded for him, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Bullpen help. And then all of a sudden he's starting, you know, yep. I, and I and I just didn't know what to do with that. And I mean, even when you look at the projection systems, um, you know, I absolutely hate whenever people just read off a fan graphs page on podcasts and here I am doing it. But there is a chasm between ATC and steamer as far as the innings uh, pitch projection. Yes. Uh, uh, 148 to 116. Drew Rasmussen's previous career high is 76 innings. So. ATC is thinking he's going from 76 to 116. Steamer thinks he's going from 76 to 148. They think he's literally doubling his his career high in innings pitched. I just don't think it's happening. I think the floor on Drew, Mas- uh, Drew Rasmussen is much, much higher. I think on a draft and hold, I'm much more likely to actually draft him because I think you're going to see a situation where he does bounce between the bullpen, long relief, 
you know, maybe he he gets a couple saves. There's a few weeks there where he might actually look like the closer. I think that's going to be one of those one of those situations with Drew, Drew Rasmussen. I think um, the Rays were not done building their major league roster for 2022 as they never truly are. Um, and I don't think it, I mean, if you look on, on the depth chart right now, it looks like he's penciled in as a starter. I don't think that he goes through the whole season as a starter, but that being said in draft and hold leagues, I do think that he maintains his value a lot longer throughout the season. And there's going to be more weeks where you can use him. Whereas with Patino, I'm a Patine ho. I love Luis <laughs> Patino. Okay. I, I didn't come up with that either, but I, I love Luis Patino, but man, he looks, he looks like a very raw unfinished product. He does not yes. look major league ready. And I don't want to burn a Ross or spot hoping that he, that he figures it out. Um, there's a lot of pitchers in that range. There's a lot of hitters still that are available. And again, whenever you're playing in, you know, 15 team, 50 round leagues, even pick 308, that's still a valuable pick. That's still somebody that you want to contribute in your team. And this just feels like one of those, those pitchers where I'm going to be so concerned about him getting blown up that I'm going to miss a lot of good starts. And ultimately, if you never feel good about starting a guy, uh, why, why roster him? So I lean towards Rasmussen here, but um, yeah, not really targeting either one of these guys is like a, a stalwart in my pitching rotation. Wasn't Patino's best start of the year against the Yankees of all teams? I think it was at Yankee stadium too. Of course, Dang. that's how that yeah. works. Yeah. I'm almost wondering if they're going to deploy because like, like you said, you pointed out the innings pitched uh, projections between the just the, the chasm, like you said, between uh, Steamer and ATC. And you said it was like 116 for Rasmussen on ATC, something like that. Yeah, 116. I and just, then uh, Steamer has him at 148. See, he's not going to hit 148. I don't think that's going to be the case. I almost wonder if they're going to have him as like an opener or a follower, kind of like they did this past year with um, Ryan Yarborough. Mm-hmm. If he'll play that sort of role, because I think I think there's not I think there's gonna be like six, seven guys uh, on a regular rotation for that Tampa Bay Rays pitching staff, because you've got again, you've got guys like McClanahan and Boz who are not going to pitch like any more than 150 innings. Probably mm-hmm. um, you're going to have to find ways to fill up those innings. And like they've been I mean, notoriously, they're like one of the highest bullpen usage teams in the league. So I think again, like having these followers or like people who act as openers and things like that to kind of limit innings and spread the wealth, so to speak, uh, is going to make things interesting. And I think that's also going to incentivize me to not roster any of these pitchers just because it's such a crapshoot as to, especially in, in leagues where you need wins or quality starts, they're not going to have many guys who are going to get either of those with consistency. I don't think, even though they are going, I think, I still think they're going to be a good team. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to reliably give you those stats that you need. So that also kind of like similar to you, Yancey, makes me not want to roster race pitchers coming into 2022. So I, I think like I, I think I'm much more liable to get any of these pitchers in like an auction format. Explain. I know we were we were talking like. I, I like I think Rasmus, Rasmussen's not going to go for more than, you know. Three to five bucks in any draft. No way. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to roster him as a cheap arm in any league. You know, I, I, he probably doesn't get, you know, he's probably doesn't get taken in dollar days because uh, he had such a strong year. But, you know, I'm, I'm, and I, I feel like Patino is probably going to be similar. Like the, these are players that like I'm happy to have filling out the end of my roster. And it's easier to do that with players in an auction league than it is in a draft where you have to burn a spot where there are still valuable players around. Mm-hmm. I don't know, am I making sense? I don't know. I think you're saying that you're, I mean, from a value proposition, right? If he's going, say Patino is going at 308, 
you're you're not getting him at 500 right but there are scenarios uh there's variations of an auction where you can get a super super cheap patino for a, a dollar or you can get a drew rasmussen for four you know three dollars or four dollars yeah yeah so like carlos carrasco is going right next to patino i think in an auction carrasco is going to go for at least a few more bucks than patino mm-hmm. i think i'd rather have carrasco just due to like innings pitched, probably. I think Carrasco yeah, can add more there, than yeah. him. Just like volume. I think that's the the biggest thing is like trying to figure out because pitching, I feel like, again, they're spreading the wealth a lot more. A lot of teams are like much more heavy bullpen usage. I feel like it's really hard to find quote unquote workhorses. And I'm not saying that Carrasco is going to be that necessarily, but just like purely from an innings pitch perspective, like especially I know like in auto new, like I love auto new leagues, like you're trying to meet an innings pitched like maximum amount try to squeeze as much value out of your pitching staff as you can. So we, you, when you can find guys who are going to be able to give you those innings pitched, it's really, really valuable. And you're willing to spend those extra bucks. But like, again, a lottery ticket like Patino or even Rasmussen for like two, three bucks mm. is plenty worth the gamble, I think. So. So I, I don't know if I'm going to have a better uh, time to say this. It is insane that Rasmussen is going so high. Innings, really that's innings totals, like I don't even care about the innings totals. I'm talking about skills. He's like, he, he once he became a starter, he stopped striking guys out. Yeah, he pitched. Yep. It, he pitched exactly five innings in five of his ten starts, and never he he never got more than fifteen outs. Not not once. So he's he's if you're in like a, say a quality start league, he is completely undraftable. And like, I just, I don't know. I just, I just don't like, he's not going to get you wins and uh, not, not reliably. Cause even there, I, I recall one game where he was, I, I can't remember who the opponent was, but he was just absolutely rolling. He was through like five innings on 60 pitches or something. He actually struck guys out and he didn't come out for the sixth. Yeah. And there's not a there's not a lot of super great original analysis that I can add here other than the fact that when the Rays tell you for years who they are. Yes. Believe them. Believe them. Everybody's always trying to look for the exceptions with them. Right. At the end of the year, you look at the, you know, the run scored and you look at all these different offensive statistics. And it's like, wow, the Rays actually had a pretty, pretty stellar offense. But it's so piecemeal. And whenever, you know, we're playing a game within a game. I love the Rays, but it is I'm actually I have like a reverse Rays homer syndrome right reverse raise bias where i rarely ever own raise even though i know the roster inside and out right like i said like i was drafting shane mcclanahan as like a 50th round flyer in a couple of leagues but that's only because hey you know what like he, you know he throws gas they they actually felt good about using him in the playoffs just thinking about it not really thinking that he would actually pitch that many innings but 99 percent of the time it does not work out how you think it's going to work out all the yeah. people last year who burned roster spots drafting Vidal Brujan or they blew 35% of their fab. Like, guys, like, you know, the writing is kind of on the wall with these players. Unless you are a transcendent player and unless they sign you long term like a Brandon Lau. By the way, LOL, the people who said that like Brandon Lau was a, a non-tender candidate. I mean, the dude literally <laughs> almost hit 40 home runs and they had already extended him. They already paid him. Yes. But, that's that's secondary but for the most part you guys are going to hear a recurring theme i every single year i do like one race centric podcast that somebody invites me on and i have to say the same thing over and over again don't buy into it don't buy into it you know 
partial playing time in daily leagues? Absolutely. In weekly leagues? Absolutely not. This is just wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over again. Oh, man, I can't wait till we get to one of these later questions now. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, yeah, but just one last thing uh, about Rasmussen. I love Rasmussen. If you go back through our like August and September podcasts, mm-hmm. I was talking him up a lot. One of my favorite stats to quote about him is that almost no pitcher in baseball was better when they threw their fastball right down the middle. He he threw the worst pitch in baseball regularly and got great results on it. Now, is that something that can maintain over multiple years? I'm not sure. I'm not smart enough to do that research, but it's wild how like how effective the stuff was the, his his fastball slider combo is electric and i want to believe there's more strikeouts in that arm but he dropped from nearly 12 strikeouts per nine as a reliever to six strikeouts per nine as a starter and yeah if you're if you're only pitching four or five innings you're only getting like three strikeouts there and that's not really what you want i mean do, do we do we play the devil's advocate here and just say that D- does he anticipate his workload looking like a certain way and he's training all offseason for it? Like, do we do we even explore that possibility where, you know, like, we, I, I don't know. It's we not play this game. It's very narrative. We, driven. we do this every year. I know we do this every year. Last year it was Brady Singer and Randy Dobnak. And we were like, well, if they start throwing the slider more and getting more, you know, favor, you know, throw the slider in favorable counts, they'll start striking more guys out. I'm so and sad we that know Randy Dobnak went. Randy Dobnak broke my heart because I thought like, oh, no, spring training, he looked fantastic. <laughs> both the slider was stupid good in spring yeah, training. Both and of then them, I remember shelled. in spring training, both of them in spring training were striking guys out, both uh, Singer and Dobnak. And we were like, oh, it's happening. And it very much was not happening. No. Yeah, unfortunately not. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think we don't. I think we don't play the devil's advocate. And I think we just like like you said, Yancey, just let like just trust that the Rays are going to be the Rays in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We got one more very specific raised question here for, uh, I think Shrubsy actually wrote this one down. So Shrubsy, if you want to take this one, feel free. Yeah, no, this is actually a perfect segue given what we were just talking about. What? So we know that Brandon Lau is going to play most days. We know that Wander Franco is going to play most days. Yes. Where does that leave Taylor Walls and Vidal Bruhan? So, uh, kind of like I hearkened to earlier, the Rays uh, were not done making moves, right? And I think had we seen uh, the lockout be pushed back even a couple of weeks, you would have seen two or three more moves at least. Um, I can kind of go by these guys one by one. So at first base, uh, G-Man Choi does not have any options and he hits for contact and he puts the ball in play and he plays really good defense uh, at first. So um, unless they... Unless they trade him, I don't see them just cutting him or non-tendering him. Um, I think G-Man Choi plays mostly at first. He is left-handed. It's possible that they platoon with Yandy Diaz, but I also think that Yandy Diaz is on the trading block. I think that uh, Yandy could be moved. I think that Manuel Marco is definitely gone. Like I don't think he breaks camp and starts opening day as a member of the race. I, he is too expensive. Percentage-wise, it just doesn't make sense. He is gone. Um, it's very likely that Kevin Kiermeyer is gone. I think he's actually going to end up on your Mets and play center for your Mets. I think Ellen actually said that. Um, I can't remember. No, she wanted she made... him on the Phillies. That's who it was. I'm sorry. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I don't, I don't want to slander Ellen in case she's right. <laughs> um, 
but I, I suffice it to say, I think that it's mostly G-Man playing first base. Um, I think Bruhan, he feels like trade bait. He feels like um, he feels like how Matthew Libertor a couple of years ago felt whenever we traded him to the Cardinals. It feels like he is a perennial top 100 guy that the 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 general public feels a lot better about Vidal Bruhan than the Rays do themselves. And again, harken back. Whenever the Rays tell you how they feel about somebody, believe them, right? The Rays have had so many opportunities to play Vidal Bruhan, and they have not. They've had opportunities to call him up. They they traded Joey Wendell, and everybody thinks like, oh, wow, this this means that it's going to be Vidal Bruhan. I don't. I, I think if the Rays had their way, they they trade off a bunch of these veterans, and all of a sudden you have somebody like, uh, you know, uh, Wander Franco playing third base, you have Taylor Walls, who is a phenomenal defender. He's the best defender in our system, yes. playing shortstop every single day. And I know you're thinking you just paid this kid, you know, three hundred million dollars or two hundred, whatever it is. You know, you just paid him all this money. Don't you want to play him up the middle? The Rays really actually don't care about that at all. They care about his bat, right? So um, that's why I think it kind of shakes out. I think that uh, eventually Taylor Walls is the everyday shortstop. I think Wander plays third. I think it's a hodgepodge platoon situation at first. This year, it'll likely be mostly G-Man. They might switch and do a platoon with Yandy. Um, but I think there's there's at least three or four moves left on this race team. And I think Vidal Bruhan gets kind of left out of the shuffle. And then he is that top 100 prospect that's buzzy, has more fantasy value than real life value, can't really play center. I, I, I think that he's the one that we use to go get an arm. I think that's that's officially my prediction is that they're going to dangle him and they're going to get they're going to get back another starting pitcher as a, as a result. So, you know, I'm sitting here racking my brain, trying to figure out who they would try to chase down or what team they would try to match up with to try to get a deal done for Bruhan and who really needs a guy the like popular, him. Whenever you're searching for an arm, a good first uh, destination is uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That wouldn't be bad. I mean, I we did just happen. trade them Joey Wendell. You know what I mean? It's true. We've actually, we've actually, you know, done a number of trades with the Marlins front office. You know, like there was the, um, all of a sudden I can't remember his name. He was our closer for like three days. Um, yeah, I don't have to sit here and go over it in my head, but <laughs> we've, we've made multiple trades with the Marlins is the point. Yeah. And they just open a big sliding window in their office and shout over, shout over across the state. Like, Hey, you want Joey Wendell? Oh my gosh. Also, I mean, you also traded a couple, well, at least once this past year, like the notable trade of uh, Lily Adamas to the Brewers, too, and got two really good arms in Rasmussen and JP Fireisen mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, like that could be another one as well, potentially. Um, I want Fireisen to be the closer there so badly. I really do love JP Fireisen. I'm very sad that uh, the Brewers traded him. He was an excellent bullpen arm, but they have a plethora of those. So, uh, dealing from the depth is very nice. Um, yeah. Are are you guys Bruhan for Ashby? Who says no? I'm down. I'll Hi. take it. That oh. <laughs> <laughs> I say. Um, Please keep I'm gonna, that in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that in, and I'm gonna bleep it. Um. <laughs> Wait, Yancey, didn't you say you wanted to get one off? That would be that would be the time. Yeah, drop it, drop it. What the effort? Yeah, dude. No, I can't, man. Nick will come after me so hard. I'm actually scared. I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll, <laughs> <laughs> Yancy, Yancy, I'll just bleep it. Okay. Give me a good one. Give me like a real good one. Uh the Rams. <laughs> oh, hey. Hey. I don't like it anymore. 
I hate it here. I hate I hate this family. <laughs> and oh, I really man. hope you leave that in. Oh, I'm going to. Really glad we finally um, got you on here for what is going to be our last podcast with the Pitcherless Podcast Network. <laughs> yeah, it's been real, homies. Pour one out. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we jump into more fantasy baseball talk, I'm going to kind of do a little bit like we did last time with Ellen, and I'm going to talk about some non-baseball stuff with you. Is that cool? Yeah, that's more than cool. Okay. So you and Schwebzy kind of have a a similar thread that's kind of woven into both your lives. Like music kind of plays like a big role. I know that Schwebzy went to school initially uh, to be a music teacher, if I remember right. Yes, sir. Yeah. And then Yancey, music plays a big role in your life. Can you talk just a little bit about like kind of your your history personally with music and what it means to you? Oh my God. I was... I'm so glad you asked every day. I'm like living, I'm living in suffering silently, just wanting to talk about music with people so bad. Please. To people listening to this podcast, podcast, uh, the three of us have a mutual friend. He goes by 11 on the internet and uh, we hang out in the discord with him quite a bit. And he works in music and, uh, Discord is a time, you know, I'm, I'm like the annoying guy in Discord who's never actually playing video games. So I actually don't stop talking like ever. Um, so everybody's just trying to relax and decompress. And Yancey's just steady talking. And I know it kind of like weighs on everybody a little it, bit. But it does not. It does not. I love it so much. I love Yancey talking in Discord. Well, that's very nice of you. But long story short, he he works in music. And I don't want to be that guy that's like, hey, I work at a pizza place. Like, let's talk about pizza all day. That sounds like a nightmare, but silently, I'm just wanting to talk about music so bad. So thank you for giving me this platform. Of course. Um, music is music is very, very big to me. Um, I played all through school, middle, high school. I played in college. I competed. I Every type of band you can think of, garage bands, marching band, indoor drumline, jazz yes, band. marching band. I was in an orchestra, like just super, super into it. Even now as an adult, yeah. I listen to music literally like it's my job. I catalog everything that I listen to, every genre you can think of, studying, researching, looking up new releases, reading long form articles, finding as much information as I can about artists. Today, I end to end, I listened to 18 albums end to end and like took notes on them and stuff like this. This is my life, right? I don't do anything with it. I don't have a creative outlet for it, but I love it. That's that's I, I don't really know what else to do with it other than it is super important to me. And until I kind of find what to do with that, I, I don't really know what to do with it. But I mean, I literally I, always have to. always have music on, always have it playing. I play drums, I play marimba, bunch of percussion, all this stuff. It's just it's just the only thing that I ever think about. Well, I think like that's the thing that Shrubs and I were both about to say is like the fact that you don't have quote unquote anything to do with it or like a place to put it. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that just having something that you really love and enjoy and you can just have for yourself that Mm -hmm. isn't like being then mass produced and like pushed out to other people for their consumption as well. Like, I think that's a really healthy thing to have because like, I mean, you need things that are just for you at the end of the day. And like, I mean, not, I'm not saying that I don't want to hear you talk about music ever because I, fu- I I love listening to you talk about music. I almost did it again. Uh, <laughs> it's just I can't not almost swear because it's just like we're in a discord call like normal. And yes, I, I'm I, very I, comfortable right now for, for people that listen to the podcast. Sorry, I, I, I genuinely do have a really awful potty mouth and it takes a lot for me to not use it on the, on the podcast. Um, but no, I mean. I love listening to literally anyone talk about something that it, that they are crazy passionate about. And it makes me really happy when you get to nerd out about this stuff. 
So mm-hmm. I, I, I want to reiterate, never feel bad when you're talking about stuff that you really enjoy while we're all hanging out and playing games. Fair enough. I want you to feel that way. I'm glad we cleared the air so, like this on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like, I, I, I think that I think that where you've arrived with music is interesting. Like, you know, feel, feeling like, you know, you enjoy this thing and have no way to, to put it out there. Like I, so I, I was similar in high school and college. Like I did, I did everything, marching band or, uh, you know, orchestra. I played like every high school instrument at some point or like high school band instrument at some point or another. Mm-hmm. And then I went to school for it to be a music education major because I, I thought that I would be good at it. And I still think I would have been, but what I wasn't good at was being a music education major because it's a completely miserable schedule. Like you're, you're in class from eight to eight and expected to practice like for hours outside of that. And I am so lazy, very much not my speed. So what I arrived at was that, yes, I do love music. I love it when it's for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I, and now my music is just like my me thing. I, I used like back in high school, I was like that person that was like, guys, I've been scouring my space and I found this great new band. Everyone needs to listen to it. Oh, I don't do that anymore. Now it's more just like, I, I kind of like, it's my own thing. That's what mm-hmm. I, it's, you know, when I'm in the car by myself, it's like a jam out to the new album I found. That you band's name, there. Train. <laughs> I love love trying. Guys, there's a song you probably never heard of. It's called Drops of Jupiter. It slaps. Oh my god. There, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of things that you said that I kind of want to flesh out if we have time. Yeah, so, go for it. The thing about the music time. and especially music education is um you, it doesn't matter how seriously you take music, most of the world does not take it seriously at all. It has been incredibly devalued. Um so like to to reference what you're talking about with just it taking so much time and you being lazy, even if you weren't lazy. Um, you know, I, my first year and a half at Florida Gulf coast university, I was a music major and you want to talk about having practice five days a week and you have to have practice hours logged where you were, you know, doing individual practices and you have to go to every single rehearsal and there's a dress rehearsal and you're basically doing stuff for music seven days a week. And did I mention that one yep. music course is worth one credit hour? One credit hour. Yep. That's not, how you wind not, up eight to not eight. Three. Yeah. You're literally there all day. And it's ah. just it's not conducive to having a life or or raising a family or, you know, none of those things. And just, you know, so I, I quickly pivoted just because I realized, hey, I have to eat, you know, like I have to yeah. I don't have a system where, hey, son, go chase your dreams and we'll, you know, we'll support you. You know, my family supported me emotionally, but very much could not support me financially. So that was not an option for me. You know what I mean? Wish it was. It wasn't no hard feelings, but so now like I channel, I channel that love for music as, as a, like I, I consume it. it. It's good. It's good for me. And like, you, I actually really like what you said, Jordan, about how like it is something that is literally just for me, right? There's no yep. performative aspect of it. Um, you know, some of the, 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 the best parts of my week is whenever somebody does ask me about something music related, kind of like unsolicited. So I don't feel like I'm wearing them out. Um, like that's, that is truly like the best and just having kind of that music vocabulary in the background and being able to kind of like you know inject yourself into a conversation about something like that organically and naturally and and like Mm -hmm. speak semi-intelligently about a band or a genre or you know that type of thing i i honestly live for those moments it's 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 the absolute best part of my life you know like 
I, I spent all that time studying music. And yet, if you tell me why I like a band, I still sound just like a complete Philistine when I try to explain. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Melodies are good. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Philistine is your they, nickname. So they, they, they make they make my head bop and they make me happy. That's why I like it. <laughs> I want to I want to. Can I can I hijack the show again? Yes. please. Oh, anytime. So me, me talking about how important music is to me, right? I think you guys mostly yes. know that because we do spend a lot of time, you know, quote unquote, through the internet, but offline, right? It's not public, yeah. it's private. We're not, whatever, recording each other or anything. I, I've, I've stepped way back on Twitter, right? And, you know, of course, a lot of my friends group is on Twitter. So like, I still connect with them and stuff, but um, it's just, it just feels different. And I, I, it's difficult for me to spend a lot of time on Twitter right now because of a lot of reasons. But um, whenever I look at my timeline right now and it's 95% sports, right? And I love sports. But whenever I see it's all sports and I've been on Twitter since like 2009, it feels like such an complete abject failure to me that that is the timeline that I have curated. And this isn't a shot at anybody individually, but it's like fantasy sports and, and sports in general is such a small part of my interests my life what i focus my time on where my mental energy goes like it is it is the smallest of small and it's what all of twitter is for me so whenever i want to have any type of discussion like when i when i want to post an an article about manatees there is not an audience there for it there is not a person willing to have that conversation with me and that's my fault because i haven't i haven't you know, cultivated that. Do you guys feel like that? Do you, I mean, do you ever wake up and just be like, you know what? I actually don't want to talk about baseball this week. I ask Nick this question all the time. Like, do you ever just like not want to do it? Yeah. hundred percent. I I would like to say like, I, I don't know if you've ever been on like manatee Twitter, but I wouldn't recommend (laughs) this full, full of a bunch of degenerates there. Perverts. Manatee Twitter is a real twisted place. (laughs) I was wondering where you were going, but, uh, that was great like i mean i i 100 feel that way a lot of the time like there there's a lot of just like just general sports discourse in a lot of ways like can be incredibly toxic it's a lot of like flag planting and like i'm right you're wrong sort of stuff and just like i said this first and i think that while sometimes people like to like live in an echo chamber and they will repeat things that they've heard previously i think that it is completely possible for people to come to the same conclusion independently. And that will happen too. And I don't know. It's, I I found myself when I started doing stuff for picture list, when I started writing, when I started editing, when I started doing the podcast, I made a fantasy baseball specific Twitter, which is my current handle bun singles. Shameless plug. (laughs) 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 But like I did it and I was like, this is going to be specifically my fantasy baseball Twitter and that's it. And then I have my own like personal Twitter aside from that, which I still do. I have both. But even the fantasy baseball Twitter, which I said was initially going to specifically be for fantasy baseball, has become so much more than that. And I've tried to make sure that it's not just baseball stuff, because honestly, yeah. I don't want to just do one thing that is so like just that. uh, What am I trying to say? Like just making like a timeline so homogenous and have it be just like that one thing is so draining. And it like I like if it was just that all the time and only baseball, 
I get super burnt out about it, which is why like I'll just randomly I'll post like recipes mm-hmm. on my Twitter and stuff like that because I love to cook. I mean, I mean, there's so many ways that I can connect with people on Twitter and like different platforms like that. I don't want it to be so one dimensional and it gets super depressing when and that's all that's dominating my timeline. So I definitely like I agree with you 100 percent that like it can feel like you said, like an abject failure sometimes when like I mean, like yesterday, all it was was just like people trying to get off their Aaron Rodgers jokes. Yeah. And stuff like that. And that's it. That's all I saw. And it was like, while it was funny initially, it was just kind of just like, okay, I'm, I'm bored. I want something else. I need to step away. I'm, I'm kind of upset that, uh, calling him Ivermech Tim couch, uh, did not take <laughs> off at all. I was getting, uh, basically the flu breeze was mine that I threw in there as well. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're very creative. We're very, we're very sharp boys. Uh, <laughs> not great at, not great at social media, unfortunately, but, um, See, like for Twitter, <laughs> for me, like I, Twitter is my fantasy baseball space. Like I follow people from other, like, yeah. you know, spheres, yeah. but it's purposefully my fantasy baseball space. That's where I do all of my interacting with fantasy baseball people, uh, you know, other than the pitcherless discord, um, join pitcherless plus. So I subliminal messages. Very natural, uh, <laughs> very natural plug for PL Plus. Don't try to make up to Nick now after what we just oh, did. Oh, by the way, Yancey, we, we have to come up with another uh, Nicholas P. Pollock. Oh, right. Yeah. Episode. So we, uh, anyways. Yeah. If you've listened to any of the recent episodes, you know that we're, we're doing a recurring bit where we, uh, we, you know, we frequently call him Nicholas Peter Pollock. And we have decided that that is not enough. Uh, so we are, we are now giving him a new nickname every week. Uh, it was, uh, recently Pietro, uh, and we had, uh, now it's professor. Thank you, Ellen Adair. So, uh, Yancey, as our guest, you have the floor. What is Nick's Nick middle name of the week? My gut reaction, uh, again, (laughs) I'm I'm nervous, just just off the cuff. I'm so excited. There's a lot of words that start with P. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a pitchless podcast though so i will say uh pepper uh nicholas pepper pollock that just makes me think of the john mulaney patrick stewart bit but salt and pepper it's, uh, if you never listened to john mulaney that makes absolutely no sense to you i'm sure it was but. really good yeah. <laughs> it was yeah that was that was spot on I, I just want you guys to know that that was a perfect impression and i'm glad that you've never listened to it so you can't refute that <laughs> oh god okay so it's nicholas pepper pollock that's good to know all right uh that's nick great. nicholas like pepper peppa pollock <laughs> peppa pig uh nicholas nicholas pepper pollock please don't be upset when i uh have to bleep out things from this pod please or if you're I mean, yeah. pickled pollocks is, is he well no because yancey's on he's going to listen that's almost i think you'd be surprised you would be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nick, one of my so, best friends. Uh, well, I think you would truly be surprised. This is actually <laughs> call me, this is me actually, to tell me about him. Hey, tell me about the podcast so he doesn't actually have to go back and listen to it. What you guys, what you guys talk about? <laughs> hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff plus you can hang out with our incredible pitcherless community it's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as eight dollars a month you can sign up at pitcherless.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So this is actually a good time for this. Uh, we we have a mailbag question. Uh, this was this was written in by a, a Nicholas P. Uh, what is your dream job? Dream job. Mm. Um, yeah. It's tough, man. Something with my wife. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this on a podcast last year. It may have been Bubba's podcast. I can't remember. Um, I would love I would love to own a commercial building. Uh, preferably a two-story building so I can have a corner office on the top and I can have like a library there and stuff. And it wouldn't really be to like make money. This is kind of after like I've already made my money and I'm just trying to make enough money back to where it's like not crippling me financially, but I can kind of, you know, I can last for a long time and, you know, you can have food truck weekends there and you can have a used bookstore and really just like an excuse to screw off. Right. That's my dream job. I want to be a landlord, charge next to nothing for my tenants. I can have office spaces on the bottom, but like a cool landlord, a a good landlord, you know what I mean? Who offers like affordable office space. This sounds awful as I'm explaining it. (laughs) You ever just start talking and you just like... I can't wait to write the tweet for this episode so I can just leave it as, Yancey wants to be a landlord, you guys. Literally, like sometimes you just open your mouth and you're like, oh, wow, I'm literally just like spewing like a love story to capitalism. And like, I hate capitalism. <laughs> I'm going to counter bad capitalism with, quote unquote, good capitalism. But no, I with would bad capitalism. Yeah, I will. Say, let's let's redo this. Scrap. Cut that whole thing out. I, I would I would love to do something in music. <laughs> I would love to do something in music. I would love to either play, play, you know, be a drummer for a band, play in a jazz band anything uh death metal whatever i'd love to write about music i'd love to be the person that goes and reviews live show anything like that anything to do with music i would be the dude that carries the equipment from the van to the stage i i would just love to do something in music and i i honestly don't even care what it is i want you to be a death metal marimba player i want this so bad <laughs> i want it so yeah really <laughs> what about you guys What's your, like what's your dream job? That would, oh gosh. Um, uh, I'm doing it. This is, this is, this is it. This just is it. Talk, talking to you and Jordan all the time for it to both get paid for it. I mean, honestly, if I could just like, interview, like <laughs> genuinely, if I could like take time to like, just like hang out and talk to people that I really want to hang out with and talk to mm-hmm. and get paid for it. Kind of like this. Um, I think I would love to do that. I think for me, like more realistically, I know that like right now, my job is fine. Like it's a paycheck. I, I appreciate it and everything like that. But at the same time, I still, and I've talked to Nancy about it before because he actually, I, I'm going to do a quick sidebar and I'm going to just like talk up and just like gas up Yancey and his wife Malika because there was a long stretch where I was like, aside from doing like picture list stuff, I was published uh, and struggling really, really hard. And Yancey and Malika one night in a discord call spent like, what was it? Like four or four and a half hours with me helping me rewrite my resume and redo my LinkedIn page to help me get a job. And it was not long after that, that I actually got an interview and got a job. Uh, so I'm like super duper indebted to both of them 
uh, for the help that they gave me. And like, I know Yancey's going to try to downplay and be like, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. I do that for any of my friends. But at the same time, uh, go to hell. You're a great person. He would. Do, yeah, that's the that's the thing. He would do that for any of his friends. And that is yeah. why Yancey is awesome. Exactly. So uh, I love you, buddy. Thank you for doing that for me. Um, but if I had to choose a job, it would probably be working in UX in an accessibility uh, aspect, trying to make things more accessible for folks, just basically making sure that everyone is like represented and things are designed in an equitable way. So that way things can be used by all rather than just by most um, mm. and helping people have a seat at the table that didn't previously have one is basically where I'm at with that. I think that was, pro- that would probably be like my ideal job. I like that. I saw a, the other day I was playing a Wordle knockoff game. You know, everybody's copying Wordle cause it's yeah. extremely popular and it's very easy to replicate. And I saw there was like a comment box where you can comment on this game, like right on the webpage. And the top comment said, Hey, I'm colorblind. Can you please change the gradient on this yellow so that I can tell if it's yellow? And I literally thought that is something that is such an easy fix. Yes, 100%. But you're literally talking about a person's physical ability to play a game. They're not asking for the moon. They're asking for the slightest little bit of, of consideration and time so that they can also enjoy something, right? Exactly. And like and, with colorblind and stuff, like I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here that most people aren't going to care about that are listening to this episode. But like there are just literally websites where you can plug in color values to see if they are colorblind friendly. Mm-hmm. It is very easy to do. It takes like five minutes to do it. Just type in the, the hex values for the colors and you'll know if they're actually compatible or not and easy for people to read. It's not difficult. Um, there's just so many things that are like. If they're, if they're considered from the get-go, they're very easy to account for and help make sure that things are accessible and equitable for everyone. And it's just like, it's it's a big pet peeve of mine. But anyways. Shrubsy, what's your uh, dream job before we gloss over it? So I actually enjoy what I do a lot, which is IT. Um, I mean, uh, I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades. I have like surface level knowledge of a, a whole lot of stuff. Um. I would like to do what I currently do, but for a company that I actually like <laughs> and stuff like <laughs> <laughs> that, actually came out, that came out badly. Tell us what you I really like feel. Where like, I, work. <laughs> <laughs> I like where I work there. It, it's a nice, friendly company, but I have absolutely no idea what they're doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, what, what do they even do back there? I have no idea. Um, I would prefer to work for a company that, made a product or produced something that I actually like could like was it was a tangible end result for me mm-hmm. like I saw uh the where I'm moving I'm moving to Raleigh and I noticed that Insomniac Games who have made a lot of video games that I really like uh they have they're they're based out of there so I'm like refreshing that page every day constantly hoping that like an IT spot opens up there uh I applied to be the IT person for the Mets at one point because I think that would have been dope Yep. Uh, and I made it to like the final round of interviews and then got ghosted by my favorite baseball team, which is cool. Um, <laughs> not that I'm mad yeah, or anything. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still bitter or anything. I'm not mad. Don't, don't let the newspaper that I got mad. Thanks. No. Thanks, Brody Van Wagenen. Second worst thing he ever did after the Cano trade. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like what I do. I would just like to do it for a, a company that I, I, I like more. So it's really it. 
Well said. Thanks. <sighs> Believe it or not, guys, we actually do have a outline that I have butchered. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? This wasn't part it's of the credit. So, oh, oh, by the way, uh, Nick, Nick P is is Nick Nick Pollock. By the way, if uh, if no one's aware, no, I didn't actually catch that. Thank you for the curve. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's get back to the actual fantasy baseball stuff here real quick for the end of the episode. So we got some uh, stuff about different league types. I think Schwebzy wanted to talk uh, about. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, recently I, I put out to Twitter. Um, I've, I've been seeing a lot of draft boards that left me with questions and hang on trying to find a, trying to find the tweet. Uh, so I, I tweeted out that, so the fantasy baseball industry has just simultaneously decided that early closers are the move now, a uh, little, little bit snarky, but really I was curious, uh, and actually got like a bunch of industry experts weighed in, uh, and some of them were in agreement that yes, closers should be drafted earlier now because of scarcity and, uh, confusion at this point in the off season. Mm-hmm. And, but, uh, others weighed in saying that. Yes, absolutely. In a draft and hold. And I'm like, I have no idea what a draft and hold is. So now I have so many questions about like different NFC league types and like the different strategies related. Like what's what's your what's your preferred format in fantasy? So like always, thank you for giving me a lot of different ways I can go uh, with this question. So first off, I I think I mostly agree with you. I also fired off a tweet um, that. Derek Van Riper was so kind to read on the athletic baseball show, which made me feel very like I've made it. You know what I mean? Um, and I was just, I was basically saying that, you know, of all of these big NFBC tournaments where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of teams that are drafted. I really have a hard time believing that the overall winners of these competitions are going to have gotten there by drafting a closer in the second and third round. Right. Uh, you know, we're seeing certain drafts where they're literally taking closers in the third round. It's happening. And I, I just, here, here's the thing. I, I understand all the arguments for and against it. And I'm not claiming that I have a great understanding of this, but I'm trying to think of this from a game theory standpoint. So every person that's drafting right now knows a couple of closers that are absolute lockdown closers. And that's why they're drafting them. Okay. They know that Liam Hendricks is the closer and they know that, uh, Hater is a closer and they know that class a is a closer right um and these players are getting moved up quite a bit and as a adverse effect of that you're also seeing other closers who are kind of middling closers being pushed up as well because everybody's keeping up with the joneses and nobody wants to be left out with closers so all these players who are drafting these teams right now they're drafting because they are having to deal with a lot of uncertainty which is there's a lot of roster moves to be made. We don't have a collective bargaining agreement. We don't know what these bullpen shakeups are going to look like. We have no mm-hmm. influx of news whatsoever. There could be players who have blown out their UCL right now, and we literally don't even know because we can't even have a physical at the team building, right? Yeah. So you're you're drafting Let's these... Let's talk about Jake DeGrom. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So you're drafting these teams um, with, with the assumption that, hey, we don't know what the rest of these bullpens are going to look like. So you're drafting a closer in the third round, but there's going to be somebody who's playing in the same overall competition as you, who's going to be drafting two months from now, and they're going to have more information than you are whenever you drafted that old team, okay? You drafted your closer in the fourth round and the seventh round, so you wanted to make sure that you had two locked-in closers. 
by the time opening day comes around, they're drafting the weekend before the season starts and they're drafting closers in, in, in at pick 250 and at pick 300 and at pick 350. Yep. And they're drafting all of the best handcuffs. So you're competing on a team where you got your closers super, super early. They got there super, super late. The standing gains points don't add up like you would think they would, right? They had all these hitters that they front-loaded and all these elite aces at the start of the draft, and they're getting those that a comparable amount of saves where they can be competitive in an overall competition, only they took them much later because by the time they drafted, these bullpen situations had cemented. They solidified themselves. Everybody knows what this is. Okay, I hate always hearkening to a separate fantasy sport, but with football, they have these gigantic best ball tournaments. Okay. Yep. I promise this. I have a point here. I've tried texting this to people, and it's so hard to text it because I can't. I can't get my point out. Now you're gonna send them the podcast link. Okay. Cam Akers is a running back for the Rams. Okay. He gets hurt. He was being drafted at the end of the first round, the second round, right? He was being drafted super, super early. So all these people that were drafting Darrell Henderson as his backup, they were taking him super, super late, right? Mm-hmm. So in this overall tournament, people who were drafting Cam Akers and he gets hurt, all of a sudden, they took an L, right? But all yep. these teams that were able to draft his backup in double-digit rounds, they now have an immense surplus value, Okay. But as people see, oh, oh, well, now this backup is now the starting running back. That same player gets pushed up further and further and further and further to where it actually becomes minus like a negative expected value from a game theory Mm -hmm. standpoint, because you're now competing with a player that's being taken now in the third and fourth round versus teams who built their entire roster, having taken that backup player in the 11th round, right? Yeah. Not doing a great job of explaining this. Suffice it to no, say, I'm with, I'm in, an, in an overall competition where you're competing against every other team that is drafted, you're drafting for certainty at a time when there is none, and you have to pay an insanely high premium for it, which is why you're drafting Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader and Emmanuel Classe and Presley and all these these closers are getting pushed up. You're 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 paying for that certainty. And you're you're not going to be able to to make up so much value versus the people who wait and draft a little bit later in the season whenever we know what these bullpen situations look like. That's kind of my general, man, that was the longest diatribe ever. I feel like I no. got there. Long story short, I don't think it's optimal. I, I, I'm, I'm, willing, I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong whenever I am wrong. I, I don't see how, how, you, can, how you, can re, you can return so much value on a second round closer or a third round cro- closer. Whenever last year, Jake McGee, was was being drafted at like pick 320 for most of the, the season. You see what I'm saying? And yep. whenever he gets pushed out, all of a sudden exactly. he's not a value anymore. You're competing against teams that have him at pick 300. It's just, let me stop talking for a little bit. What do you guys think? Uh, I appreciate that you used uh, as an example, several members of the NFC championship game participant, <laughs> LA Rams. <laughs> you are a snake. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to say it too. I saw the look at, I saw a smile creep across his face right before he said it. And you can tell when Shrubs is going to make a, I'm make, so try to make a funny. Smug. I'm yeah. just so, so smug. smug about his jokes. Mm. Um, no, Yancy, I, I mean, I genuinely think that more than anything, the reason that people are drafting right now, rather than like waiting until they have more like good information to work off of, it's just boredom. More than I anything. Think so. I think so too. And I think the people that are always talking about like, well, you know, if you do your research and, you know, 
like you have to realize your edge and like, I know my edge, but if I flip a coin and I get, I, I call heads and I get heads five times in a row, did I solve coin flipping or did I, was I just on the right side of variance in that moment? And that small, very, and that ah. small sample, did I just happen to be on the right end of it? Because I'm, I'm taking credit for something that I can't possibly know. You know what I mean? Exactly. No, that's a really good way of yeah. explaining it. We, we, we very heavy quotes here. Experts do like to downplay the uh, randomness that uh, is inherent to, uh, you know, uh, effectively betting on sports outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, like when I celebrate someone being just, if I take like a quote unquote victory lap, it's not so much being like, Oh yeah, my process was perfect. It's just me be like, Oh damn, that's, that's great. I got it right. This is cool. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that like maybe my process, like I got the right outcome, but maybe my process could still be improved and all that. And I think that a lot of people who, like you said, like we're operating right now with such little information or incomplete information if they happen to get things right, you'll see people taking victory laps. And I hope that it's more of a I'm very, very lucky and happy that I got lucky rather than like I'm an absolute genius. Yep, and knew this was going to happen. So, yeah, I I mean, I like that it's so random and has such variance because then I get to just say that my process was perfect. Sorry, guys. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wrong side of randomness that time. Get good. It happens. Yeah. But man there's so many things i could say i'm like like one, one, th one thing happened last year this will be shorter uh toby toby was very anti drafting vlad jr right commensurate yes. to where he was being taken and i stand by toby yes vlad had a transcendent year and he looked amazing and what would he finish second in mvp voting or something he had a really yes. really good year right yep. and toby yep. classiest person on the planet very very just a genuinely good dude he, every single time vlad hit a home run Walk of shame. Toby's tweeting it, taking it, oh, yeah. just owning it, you know, like he's supposed to. But I still think that Toby was actually right, right? We play a game where we're dealing with samples of thousands of plate appearances and hundreds and hundreds of players playing thousands of games over the course of a season. I think if, if, if you believe in your process, which is Toby's process is math, that's his process, math. Right. The odds of things happening over a large sample, he's going to get some of them wrong. But over time, he's going to come out much further ahead. Phil Dussault won three hundred fifty thousand dollars on NFBC last year. Was it because he got a couple of players right or was it because he has a process and he put himself in consistently good positions and built really, really solid teams and was game theory optimal? And he leveraged the information that he knew that the field was either overlooking or they were they were overweighting themselves on things suffice it to say like i'm i'm very much like on a uh i used to be obsessed with individually diving into players and and their pitch usage mm -hmm. and, and this and that and now i'm realizing all the best players in this nfpc game and, and just and just fantasy in, in general right it doesn't have to be exclusive to nfpc because i know you guys have a lot of listeners that play all kinds of games yeah it's about it is truly about knowing the game game theory optimal not not it's not about is drew rasmussen you know like let's look at his pitches is he gonna be better than luis patino it's about no what is the likelihood that he outperforms players in that given range of players is he so much better than the pitchers in that range or the pitchers that are 40 picks later 
Or is it more valuable for me to take hitters here and just have a bucket of players that I would rather take than these bucket of pitchers, right? That's the game that's being played by the Phil Dussos and the Toby G's and, you know, the Vlad Settlers. That's the game that they're playing. So it's like, it's hard for me to like get into the nitty gritty with, with, with stats and, and, and all this stuff whenever it really just comes down to let's play the numbers game. Let's try to make as many good decisions as we possibly can with as, as, as much good information as we can, and then basically ignore everything else. Yeah. I think it's really good to have a good process while you're drafting like that. And like, again, kind of like you touched on individual player analysis, something that like, I mean, for us, we kind of lean into heavily, at least throughout the course of the year to try to like notice trends and things like that. But Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year, when actually drafting your team initially, I don't think it's necessarily that helpful. And I think like what you said, being able to like look at a certain player within that certain range uh, with the other players that are being taken around that area and being able to say, I do think that his range of outcomes are likely to be better than the folks that are being taken around him uh, is much more valuable at that point. Mm hmm. Yeah, I will say, Shrubsy, draft and holds. You you draft it, no transactions, right? No waiver wire pickups. However, you do set your lineup. Oh, the question I asked like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I there's there's like, things what? there's things that I've actually been like have been like brewing and they've been dormant in me. And then sometimes I just start talking. I'm like Michael Scott. I don't really know where a sentence is going to go, and so they just come out. They they're fleshed out. Game types. You know, you guys know this. Like, you know, there's fab leagues, right? TGFBI last you, year, you know, sometimes you and I would rail fab together. These draft and holds, I mean, honestly, I think you guys would be really good at these because they favor players who truly understand the player pool, right? So if you guys can go super, super deep and you know these rosters top to bottom, it would be more advantageous for you guys to play these draft and holds because that is going to be your bread and butter. Knowing, knowing, you know, which players are going to be called up two months from now and not you know, not throwing 30% of your fab, you know, after he gets called up and has an awesome week. I, I honestly, I think you'd be pretty, pretty awesome at drafting whole leagues. Just, uh, for, for the listeners, uh, if you, if you followed us throughout the season, you might know that we streamed, uh, our prep process and, uh, our recording sessions this past year. And we're going to be doing that again. And I very much look forward to once again, doing my pickups live on stream so that Yancey can yell at me for not doing waterfall bids properly. <laughs> not yell. I just, I'm not mad. Admonish. I'm just disappointed, right? <laughs> Yancy, what's funny to me is like you taught Shrubsy how to do it and Shrubsy was doing waterfall bids by the end of the year. I still have not learned how to do it. <laughs> I still haven't done, I haven't done it once. But the thing is, to, to, my, to, to my defense, I did kick the absolute crap out of Shrubsy and TGFBI overall last year. Absolutely so, smoked me. I yeah. was terrible. Was that? I was like 500 what? out of 400 teams. Yikes. <laughs> did you just, but, did uh, you give up? What'd you do? No, really not until like midway through September. I, Shrub- I tried, Shrub- tried so hard. <laughs> Shrubsy did have, <laughs> Shrubsy did every, have every, like, luck like every batter on my team got hurt. I had like, you, you know, your Buxton's, your Brian Hayes's, uh, I mean, I had McNeil's miserable season. I had Glaber's miserable season. Just a just a miserable year. Mm. That's fair. I think we got one more question here. So, Shubs, we want to talk about Bobby Witt. Uh, in in the notes, I, I literally just wrote Bobby Witt question mark. Yeah. I, I, I like the question. I like the question. I have not. I have not drafted yet. Like I've told you. Yes. Um, Tell me, Bobby Witt. So. 
I'm seeing him get some massive steam, right? And yeah, uh, in in situations like this, I I mostly ignore uh, prospects, right? I just ignore them. Um, I I don't have a lot of my own original opinions about prospects, but in the game that I play, which is redraft rotisserie leagues, um, I'm not worried about prospects at all. And if it it works out over time, and I I feel happy with the the results that I've gotten from that by mostly ignoring them. <laughs> This is kind of a, a difficult situation where like he's he keeps getting pushed up like he's getting pushed up a lot. Yeah, I, I, I and I feel the player that I feel like this is going to be with me. It's last year's Otani. I drafted Otani one time and even that one time I was upset with myself because I thought that it was kind of a wasted pick. I felt like it was something I don't know. It felt like a gimmick. It felt like I was doing it because it was like a, you know, like a FOMO thing. I just didn't want to be. You know, if you really believe in something, have conviction, right? Don't draft a player, draft 20 leagues. And if you really don't like somebody, go over 20 drafting him. And I kind of hedged my bets a little bit. And of course, that was my best team by far because I basically lucked into getting Otani. I have a feeling that I'm going to be like that with Bobby Witt, where I'm going to decide, yeah, you know what? This isn't really, this ain't it, Chief. And I'm not feeling you know, the production's going to be there or the playing time's going to be there right away. I feel maybe they play games. I don't know. I just feel like I'm, I'm not going to take him and it's going to go horribly. I feel, <laughs> I just know, <laughs> I, I just know it's going to go horribly. I, there's too many people that I trust that are normally not like all in. Let me push my chips in. I'm all for Bobby Witt. Too many smart people are telling me yes, yes, yes on him. And having never watched him play or anything like that, like I feel like I need to have some um, but I, I, I get the feeling like he's just going to tank half my leagues this year because I just didn't, I just didn't have enough. What do you guys think? So, so Bobby Witt is being drafted one pick, uh, so since the start of January per NFC, Bobby Witt is being drafted one or two spots after Brian Reynolds. He's being picked before Jonathan India, before Carlos Correa. He has a minimum pick of 50. So start of the fifth round. That's that is too, wild. That's, that's way I'm, too I'm, much I'm with you there. I'm with you in in that I will have zero shares of him this year unless I just go contrarian one one draft. Um, I just that there's too many prospects that fall on their face. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everyone likes to say Trout fell on his face in his first you know cup of coffee. Um, if he's if he's with the team opening day, like if they announce that he will be with the team opening day, I might change my tune a little bit. <laughs> But there's too many things that can go wrong. He might not be there in April. He might not, you know, he, he might scuffle for his first two months. And then you're only getting half a season of a, you know, people think he might be like a second round pick. Like you're only getting a few months of that production. That Like I'm just very not on board with p- taking players with a fifth round pick that, you know, have no major league experience. Let's play a hypothetical. Ex- hypothetical. Ooh. Okay. Where would you say his ADP is right now? 92. 92. Let's say he, he, the, the helium continues, right? He keeps rising. Let's say he finishes at like 75 and they announce, Hey, we signed him, you know, to a four year, $50 million extension. He's breaking camp. He's starting opening day. Are you in at that point? Are, are you, are you drafting him in the, you know, the fifth or sixth round? Are is that something well, you're 75? 75 would be like the start of the eighth. I'm more 
Well, that's okay a, that's, that's that, where his ADP is at, right? So if you want him, you're going to have to reach before his ADP. I think he's got more helium than his his current ADP is showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least if the the Twitter sphere is any indication. Based on the talent, maybe, but not based on the players going around him. Like, how much safer is Brian Reynolds than him? And if he gets up to 75, like you just mentioned, are you taking Bobby Witt over Brandon Lau? If that's where Brandon Lau's going, Mm -hmm. not me. Or, I mean, Corey Seager, health willing, is going in that range. I'd rather have Corey Seager. I mean, you mentioned like Carlos Correa. What, What happens if Correa signs with the Yankees, right? And all of a sudden he's hitting. I will light myself on fire. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. This is this kind of does like make it all come full circle. Right. Where we're really talking about value. What what is the likelihood that he returns value at that draft spot? What is the likelihood that he's more valuable than Carlos Correa? Like. From from a from a strictly GTO standpoint, this is this is this goes back to the whole victory lapping thing. Right. If he's really, really good then yeah, we have egg on our face, but there's going to be 10 other players like this who everybody's bumping up, right? People were wrong about Vlad for two years until they were right, but they took yep. all those L's that are unmentioned, but now they're right. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Are we going to be like that with Bobby Witt? I know high stakes NFBC players who drafted Bobby Witt last year in the main event and they held him all year. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yikes. Jordan, are you in? Yeah, what, what is what is your what is your thoughts on uh, on Bobby Witt? So, it, this is a hard one for me because I f- I feel like the thing that I am probably worst at as a fantasy baseball player is getting an adequate amount of steals in my five by five leagues. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part for me, and I feel like he can contribute in that regard. So I feel like I would want to take him more than I I would want to take Correa at the same point in a draft, simply because he could produce there. Like if I knew that he was breaking camp. We're, we're speaking from that uh, hypothetical, of course. Um, but then again, I could also get two more guys on that same roster who both can put up good averages and steal a ton of bases in both Adalberto Mondesi and Nicky Lopez way later in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather take us. I think I could also just take a safe player. Well, maybe not Mondesi, but I think Nicky Lopez. I mean, God, I'm um, so psyched for the deflated Adalberto Mondesi ADP. I'm so psyched. Oh, for yeah, it. Man. Yeah. I'm Actually, where is he at right every now? Share. Where is he at right now? Uh, uh, he is at like the fifth round or scrolling, something. Scrolling, scrolling, sixty-two. Yeah, I would take that in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, same. What do you? What Steals do you guys? At third base. Yes, please. What, what do you guys think? So, like with Bobby Witt, obviously he's never been in the majors, right? Uh huh. And we're, we're we're seeing another uh, off season. You know, before it was like COVID, and now it's just the CBA, and this is another uh, start to a season where off-season workouts, consulting with the team, getting looks at players, all that is thrown up in the air again. Do we even take into consideration the fact that, hey, say they do fix the service time manipulation that we've already beat the hell out of uh, talking about earlier in the show, even if they do fix it, there's now a legitimate case to be made that some of these players actually do need to start the season in the minors, right? These teams haven't seen them. They haven't had regular workouts they haven't had conditioning anything like that like what what if bobby I, Witt actually does need a couple of months 
and you know to get his timing right or to, to to get conditioned whatever like we have no idea what these players are doing right now we we assume things but again this is flipping a coin and if it lands on heads and we called heads we're a genius right but we don't know bobby witt could be he could have gained 30 pounds in the offseason i've never met him i don't know it's tired of being called junior <laughs> You're not my real dad. That's going, dude. Yes. <laughs> but I, I like everyone continue. Everyone's talking up the skills and the skills are obviously great. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think we all remember how ready for the majors Jared Kelnick was. Yep. It's just it. The majors are really, really hard. Yeah. Well, last thing I'll say, just to put a bow in all of it. Do you guys see how like you'll ask me about an individual player, and I'll kind of zoom out a little bit, and I'll talk about yes. a pool of players, right? Or not yep. one individual decision or one individual inflection point. I'm talking about making the same types of decisions dozens of times over the course of a season, or or hundreds of times over the course of of your drafting season, right? If you're consistently the guy that is looking at the Bobby Witt of 2022 or the Jared Kelenic of 2021 or, you know, name whatever player that gets pushed up and is artificially inflated by ADP and by Dalton uh, Varsho. Yeah, Dalton Varsho. Perfect. He's artificially getting pushed up by a handful of uh, independent podcasters and and bloggers and, you know, the same, uh, you know, little pool of, you know, 5000 people on Twitter. If you're if you're succumbing to that year after year, sometimes you're going to be right on that player and you're going to be like, hell yeah, I got Vlad Jr. in the third round. It's lit, right? But more often than not, you're going to quietly be cashing your checks. You're going to be, you're going to be being sent those Sklansky bucks. You're going to be profiting over the long term. So as a general rule, maybe Bobby is, Bobby Witt's going to be amazing. But I, I go for, I go for the long-term play, which is just like, I'm not going to chase an inside straight, um, you know, in poker every single time. I'm not going to chase a one in five chance, right? You know, what 16.8% for, uh, you know, an open-ended straight draw or something. I'm not going to chase it every single time just because sometimes it does hit. I'm going to consistently make good decisions. I'm going to do, you know, whatever I can to uh, sharpen my process. And that's, that's generally how I'm going to, I'm going to operate. So probably not going to have a lot of Bobby Witt. I can do that. Do I hear Kepler in the background? It is. Yes. He needs to go outside. <laughs> oh, th- this is, this is the, the, the fourth animal that we have heard on in the deep. Well, well, fifth, fifth, if you count Merlin. Yeah, this is, a. Uh... yeah, we've had more, we've had more animal guests on the podcast than we've had uh, human guests on the podcast. That is factual. Right. Yes. It's kind of great. I love it. Oh, wait. Oh, hi. Oh, 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 the paw, oh, the paw. Oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> love, love fawning over a, a visual in an audio mm. medium. Super good. Okay. I think we can wrap it up on that note so you can take Kepi out. How does that sound? Sounds good, guys. As always, I love you. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Um, I love you too, buddy. These are so happy to finally have you again. Not, not thrilled about following Ellen. Um, but if there is a silver lining to this, it's that whoever you have on next is going to look like a God. So <laughs> there's, <that. laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make some, uh, I'm going to make some edits so that it, uh, we're going to get an audio clip of Yancey saying, Oh yeah. My thoughts on Twitter. Not thrilled about following Ellen. Yeah. Oh, hey, wow. You know, you well know great. You, you, you know, it's great. This is the second time Shobzi has lied on the podcast. He doesn't edit it. 
I have a rule where I will only I, I will only lie if I'm making direct eye contact with someone, and then I always lie. Look at me. Look at me in the eyes. Anyways, uh, that'll be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Thank you once again to our guest, Yancey Eaton. Uh, Yancey, if you would like to, I know you're taking a break from Twitter. Do you want to plug your Twitter account? No, I would just like to use this platform to encourage uh, anybody out there to spay and neuter your pets and help control the animal population. I love the Bob Barker energy that you just brought. <laughs> I appreciate that, buddy. All right. Uh, be sure to follow us uh, on Twitter at in the DPL. And then also, if you like the show, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star review. You can start doing that on Spotify now, conveniently enough. Yancey's already reviewed the podcast, I know. Thank you, Yancey. Uh, and then we'll see you for our next episode. Uh, Schwabzi, send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.